Hello and welcome to Something for the Soul, the leadership podcast with a twist. As founders and CEOs of social enterprises, we've all had something that we've had to dig deep into our soul to get through. It turns out that if we've done the work to overcome that something, then we might have a story to tell that could help someone else. On this podcast, you will hear from leaders across the globe, openly talking about their challenges and sharing how they made it to the other side. I'm your host, Shonju Pal, founder of the education charity Rise, and every month I will invite a new guest to share something for the soul. My guest today is Richard Wilson, co-founder and chief visionary of Maths Pathway. Maths Pathway provides a learning science-based approach to education that has seen students achieve two to three times the amount of progress per year than would typically be expected in a traditional classroom. Over the past five years, Maths Pathway has scaled to reach 80,000 students across 350 schools annually in Australia. Richard grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, witnessing firsthand the divide between what he puts as the haves and the have-nots in society. He is an alumnus of Teach for Australia, having left a career in management consulting to pursue his true passion of working with young people. It was his own experience as a classroom teacher that made him realise that nothing less than systemic change would be required to transform how maths was taught in the classroom. Richard is a disruptive social entrepreneur. His vision for Maths Pathway is to create a global, sustainable, equitable and effective approach to mathematics teaching and learning. Richard has been awarded an Echoing Green Fellowship and a Teach for All Social Entrepreneurship Fellowship for his work to close the achievement gap in mathematics. He has consulted with the Australian government to develop the recently released National Mathematics Curriculum. Richard, welcome to the first episode of Something for the Soul. Thanks, Shanju. It's uh, it's a wonderful way to be starting a new year. Very excited. I'm excited to be talking to you. So first of all, congratulations on the success of Maths Pathway. Thank you. It's um, I, I guess it's been a, a fascinating journey, uh, ups and downs, like every journey, a bit of a roller coaster. Um, hopefully, we can share some of the the things that have made a difference in that journey today. Well, that's exactly what we're going to dig into. I mean, that is quite a journey from management consultant to social entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about making that change and doing Teach for Australia. Yeah, I, th I think the thing that really kind of kicked me uh, over the edge into the work that I do now was just this understanding of what I really wanted to change in the world, where I wanted to make a difference. So management consulting for me was all about problem solving, a really interesting place to pursue that work. But my passion has always been for education and young people. So Teach for Australia was a phenomenal program, a great opportunity to jump right into that world. And I think really a critical one. I have a great suspicion of anyone running an education entrepreneurial activity if they've not had any exposure to the classroom or certainly if no one on their team has exposure to the classroom. So uh, for me, I think a critical part of that journey and just a whole lot of fun. In what way do you think your background as a management consultant has helped you with leading Math Pathway? I actually think, so we have a really specific kind of journey um, and just on the off chance he ever hears this, um, shout out to Brad Miller, uh, who is the managing partner at the, at the Litmus Group where I worked as a graduate. And beyond the technical kind of financial stuff you learn in, in management consulting, 
I was really privileged to actually watch an organization grow from essentially four or five staff members in one city to more than a hundred across the country. And, and they did this through the GFC. And really, I was just kind of an observer, a bit of a peon at the time. But I actually took a lot of kind of learning from that into the way we run uh, Maths Pathway. I, I genuinely believe employers have a essentially a moral responsibility to create a place for their staff that is a wonderful place to work. And so obviously we care a lot about the impact we have on kids, but we also think very deeply about, you know, how do we create a place where people want to work? Yeah, and I, and I really learned that, I guess, from being a staff member first up. Yeah, and I think that's what's so interesting about your journey in particular. You talked about a lived experience of being a teacher before you enter into a venture of working education but also marrying what you experienced as a management consultant, as you expressed. I read somewhere that you have an obsession for process improvement and efficiency. It made me smile because I feel like that's where I started my journey as a management consultant as well. And actually something that I think has been really important in shaping Rise over the years. And I wonder if you have a reflection on that. I kind of picked up a favorite phrase, I think, while I was teaching um, and it was the sort of thing that I, I finally understood what was really bothering me about the education system. And, and it's not just in Australia. Having seen our systems around the world, I think it's a global concern, is that every teacher will have met kids who thrive fantastically, regardless of the environment. Uh, you know, maybe they have a great teacher that's going to help them do that, but you know, they're doing fantastically well in a school that's under-resourced or coming out of a family that's struggling with generational poverty or coming out of a migrant or refugee background. But what's always bothered me is that in most education systems around the world, these kids do well by accident. There's no systemic program. There's no kind of carefully considered, well-structured, broader system that ensures that students will be successful. They happen to get a great teacher. They happen to find an inspiring classmate. And so this whole idea of how can you really systematize what should be a system uh, you don't want to take the personal out of teaching, but really there's there's too much left to chance in terms of quality and access. And I think that's where I really got very excited by the idea of how do we improve the outcomes of students regardless uh, you know, of their background or, or the chances that happen to them in life. Systemic change in the education system in the classroom in Australia focused on maths, of course. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it really started as a classroom activity. Uh, my co-founder, Justin, and I uh, were teaching in different schools and really came down to the issue of, of I had a seventh grade classroom uh, and I walked in there and I was told, here's a year seven textbook, good luck. And that, that's how I learned. That's how I went to school. And about three minutes after meeting my students, I realized that was never going to work because I had students who couldn't count sitting next to students who could do quadratic equations. And every teacher I've ever met has had the same problem. And the whole journey of Maths Pathway was to say, well, how about if we could develop a systemic approach to allow teachers to deal with the fact that there's a seven to eight year spread of ability in any classroom? And over the last uh, 10 years now, so Maths Pathway is officially 10 years old, we've gone through that journey with hundreds of schools, uh, hundreds of thousands of students over that period of time, and really quite I guess, successfully from an impact point of view, you know, we have students will learn two to three times more than anyone else in a traditional maths classroom. We've had students who are in sort of eighth grade, so 14, 15 year olds finish the entire maths curriculum when nobody around them even knew 
they had an aptitude for mathematics. And we've had my particular favorite students who turn around and say things like, oh, I never thought I was a maths person. My first response to that is there's no such thing as a maths person, but I'm glad you think you are one now. So yeah, it's, it's a really, I guess, kind of heartwarming when you apply the science and the, and the kind of technology and the thinking and you get the human outcomes. That's the journey we've been on. I love you talking about that notion of everyone can do maths. I'm just feeling like there's quite a few similarities here, Richard. Of course, I used to be a management consultant. I was a math teacher. That moment when a child, when a student realizes actually math is fun because they can problem solve and there's that real sense of achievement, then they even apply that analysis to other parts of the curriculum and they really feel confident about themselves is probably the best feeling that I had, you know, when I did the Teach First program in London and was a math teacher. I do love some of the similarities and also want to talk about our penchant for Latin because uh, I feel like there's not many people that when I say, oh God, I love Latin, that they also come back and they're like, do you know what? Me too. That's a, yeah, that's a blast from the past. Um, <laughs> I, for my sins, for my sins, I studied Latin in high school. Again, uh, a, 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 an influence in my life, right? A, a brilliant teacher who I remember to this day, Miss Tessa Berman your family are out there hello and you know just a really great example of from a teaching point of view someone who really kind of inspired an interest particularly good at, at gossip as well uh, which is always appreciated as a teenager but I think also the the kind of interesting similarities I've always found language structure to be really uh, engaging I enjoy learning languages uh, I've been exploring some of these new sort of AI based models that people are using to teach language um, and manage translation which I think are really uh, quite fascinating. So yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think mean, Latin's a great base language. Uh, I certainly don't speak it, but um, it's a good thing to pull out at trivia nights every now and then. You're our first guest on Something for the Soul. And the last time we saw each other was actually just about a month ago in Goa for the Teach for All Social Entrepreneurs Gathering. When we were there, there was a real sense of leaning into vulnerability as a leader and how vulnerability is a superpower. What I find interesting whenever I speak to a leader of great caliber like yourself is that we talk about the things that are important in terms of systemic change, the deep work we're doing in the world that we operate in terms of educational disadvantage, but we don't always talk about our own journeys as a person. Really, I think when we were in Goa, there was this real sort of openness to talk about things. And actually, one of the things we did talk about was the new year. And I suddenly had this moment, as ignorant or as obtuse of me that my bed, that it's very cold and wet, of course, in London, as it is right now. And it's the start of the year, and there's sort of the, the January blues as we kind of get back into the flow of things. And you were like, oh, well, it's summer for us. Also, it's sort of holiday time. And I was suddenly like, goodness, that's a different sort of new year. Talk to us about the year for you in Australia and also how are you feeling about 2024? Yeah, the, the vulnerability kind of thing is, is very interesting. It's definitely, I think, become a more popular topic of conversation, but probably sometimes one that, like many things, is treated really quite superficially. So hopefully we can dive a little deeper here than, than would be typical. You know, I, I think the idea of beginnings is really important. Um, you know, one of my favourite books deals with the the concept of of kind of timing i've gone and forgotten the full title but it's called when essentially so power of moments i believe and 
the kind of the joy of what it talks about is the idea that, you know, as humans, we very naturally understand that there are times that resonate, right? And so the beginning of something, same reason that people will set New Year's resolutions or will have set New Year's resolutions recently. The fact that a Monday feels a little different, not always good different, um, and that people tend to start new activities at the start of a month. You might decide I'm going to the gym in February, for example. And so I think there's there's a, a, a real kind of natural human tendency to recognize that. And one we can probably do more with uh, as people. So, you know, coming into the new year here, it is weirdly rainy this week uh, in Australia and um, the climate is doing all sorts of things we'd rather it didn't. But generally it's warm, it's sunny, we're all out on the beach uh, and are enjoying the sunshine. That brings a kind of mental positivity. But I also think that if we don't actually, particularly as, as leaders of organizations or anyone in a position of responsibility, we need to actually stop and think, well, what is it that we're bringing into this new year? You know, what is the mindset that we're establishing? You know, looking back at uh, this last year, at 2023, uh, it was a very difficult, very stressful year for a lot of people at Maths Pathway. We've gone through a lot of change. I think we've come out better for it, but uh, you know, a lot of people are now taking a really well-deserved break. One of the things that concerns me is that we can end up just restarting the new year without really having thought, how do we reset ourselves? How do we get new habits in place? How do we get new routines in place that are actually going to help us feel better? And then when we feel better, everything else works better around us. That's so it, isn't it? Taking the time to kind of do that work, do that deep reflection, really think about how you're feeling as a team member, as a leader, as a parent, as you know, a member of a family as bigger cog in this world. I think this is a great chance to talk, therefore, about, you know, really what is the meat of this podcast. So talking about something that has been challenging. And I think the whole point of this podcast is that, you know, everyone has something going on, but we don't always talk about it. And actually, as leaders, being open about some of our more difficult personal and professional experiences has the potential to be transformative. So tell me about something that you'd like to bring today to the podcast, something that is a challenge or has been a challenge for you that you think you've worked through. Sure. So I think in the interests of beginnings, I'm going to talk about a, a bit of a beginning a reset uh, that we went through in my own house, actually, about a year ago, so early 2023, my wife and I were reflecting on the kind of state of where we were, what was going on. And overall, things were, you know, by any objective measure, okay. Uh, you know, we have we have two kids, they're both in school. Uh, we had, you know, our work, work was going okay. Obviously, it can be stressful. But there was what I can really only describe as a kind of all-pervasive malaise, both over our own house, over a lot of our friends. You know, Australia went through some very tough years, as did everywhere else uh, during COVID. Uh, we had a lot of lockdowns, particularly here in Melbourne. And even really by the end of 2022, there was a sense that things hadn't quite recovered. A lot of people were feeling very drained. You just need to read any publication over the last 12 months and you'll see well-being mentioned. Uh, and I think that's something we were feeling really quite personally. And my wife said something really interesting. She said, you know, I feel like normally when you're going along in life and you have small little bad things happen to you, you sort of just bounce back. You might take a day or two to, to get over it and you recover. 
But actually, it feels like our, our kind of mental energy, our well-being levels are so low that really everything is just beating us down. It doesn't matter how small it is. And then she said a thing that triggered a year of change for us. She said, you know, we're so low that I feel like in order to get to okay, we need life to be freaking brilliant, just so we can sort of even out the average. As a, as a maths person, uh, Shanji will appreciate the law of averages um, as, as we get things back. And so we said, well, what do we, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we make life brilliant so that we can get back to being okay? Mm. And then that, that's the journey we started. Wow. Why not have a very, very, I guess, important conversation about making life a bit better? You know, you're talking about a very important part of your personal life that's obviously going to have a huge effect and impact on your professional life as well. You started this conversation. Where did it go from there? Straight away, really, over the course of the next probably eight hours, it was a very long talk, um, we unpacked and we did a thing I've actually never done in my life. So I, I when did I do this? I was 39 when I did this. Uh, we had this conversation and in the, the previous 38.9 years, I had actually never done this one simple activity, which was to catalog everything that happened in, in our collective day and judge it, decide whether I liked it or not. Not necessarily assuming that you could do anything about it. There are things in life over which we have no control. But we started at waking up. We went through, what do you have for breakfast? And, and right away, there was an interesting sort of element to that, you know, I said to my wife, well, how's your breakfast? We have different breakfasts. And she said, oh, it's fine. And I said, well, that's not what we're going for right now. What would make your breakfast amazing? Which is, sounds like an absurd question. Um, <laughs> oh, what's an amazing breakfast? Uh, and so, you know, we went through that whole process and she crafted what to her is an amazing breakfast. And I did the same. And we really kind of worked through all the key things in, in life, the whole day, the whole we changed from that morning, the pickup routine, the drop-off routine for the kids. Of course, we still have to take the kids to school. This is an immutable fact in our case. You know, we, we kind of worked around that. And so there were some key issues. And I think probably the, the kind of two big things I want to touch on, one of them that we brought into the process was possibly apocryphal story I've stolen from Warren Buffett, which I won't repeat uh, in its entirety here, but essentially it comes down to the idea that in, if you want to get something done in life, you should have your goals by all means. And he talks about having your top five, and then you should have all the other things that aren't in your top five, and you should avoid at all costs doing anything about those things. So to give you an example, I have been on and off learning Italian. I have an Italian background for the last nine years. I really haven't made very much progress because like most people, I've kind of on and off of apps, on and off of classes, really haven't committed. And so I actively decided that for 2023, I would not learn Italian. It was off the list. I kept a few things, three or four things on the list for the year. Happy to talk about them. So that was kind of the one big thing. The other thing we did is having each made our own kind of improvement goals. And some of them were silly things. We decided we wanted flowers in the house. So we signed up for flower deliveries. Now, to be clear, we can't afford flower deliveries every week of the year, but we said, we said this is three months of brilliance. What can, we, what can be brilliant for us? So we said, that's fine. It doesn't have to be sustainable. So probably that was the second one, right? You know, keep, keep your top five only. It doesn't have to be sustainable at the beginning because we were really just trying to reset the baseline. And then the third thing was we said, well, 
as a couple in our case, and, and I think, you know, I've seen this work in non-couples, in partnerships, in business relationships. If you're single, then just with a friend works. I have a friend that I do this with as well. And so we had a, a weekly lunch date uh, where we physically went out. We both work from home now, post-COVID. So we physically went out to a local cafe, ordered lunch. We had an agenda. We're very nerdy. And we actually went through basic parenting stuff. What are the kids doing this week? Where are we going on Saturday? And also, how are you each doing with your goals? One of mine was exercise. So she would ask me, how are you doing with exercise? Have you booked this in? Have you found the exercise you're looking for? And so yeah, I, would, I would say those are that kind of our three key headlines, right? When you're top five, ignore sustainability if you're trying to follow this, just reset the baseline. And then that form of accountability, that check-in, and that just really holding yourself to, these are the key things we're trying to improve. Yeah, a real process improvement of your life over those three months and a very structured approach to doing so. What is resonating with me as well is finding that top five, whether it be founder syndrome, whether it just be leading a social enterprise that is extremely difficult work and constantly having exceedingly high expectations and a mile long to do list that doesn't seem to be getting any smaller, but also having huge expectations around other hobbies and ambitions that seem to constantly be on that list that's quite a burden. It can feel quite heavy and weighing one down. And what you've just articulated there is actually, that is not useful. What is useful is figuring out what are the most important things to do. How did you go about reviewing and refining that list? So even making the decision to not learn Italian anymore. How did you do it? You know, again, I took quite a systematic approach just because it, it works for me. The real goal was to say what is actually achievable. I have seven days in a week like everybody else. We all have different kind of hard and fast commitments. I actually found that one of the keys was to include in your top five the things that are not optional. There are really two, three things in my life that are not optional at the moment. I guess you could argue they're all optional. I am a father. I consider that not optional. I am a husband. I currently consider that not optional. Um, and, and I lead an organization, right? It's insane to pretend those don't take time. To be an effective father, to the kind of person I want to be, I have to commit time and effort. And that means there are other things I can't do in that time. Same with being with a partner, same with looking after friends, same with going to work. And so prioritizing these things within that set is key. So that really only left me like two things that I could deal with. And I think that's just a, an acceptance of reality, right? We can't necessarily change that. If I had decided at that point, actually, that, you know what, work is not that important. That's a transition point for a founder often. When you realize that maybe you don't want your baby in its work sense to be in your top five anymore, that's a good time to think about succession planning. For the moment, I made the decision it should stay in there. And so really kind of codifying what those things were. The other thing is that I've done quite a lot of reflection personally over the last few years. One of the things I know that's entirely critical for my mental health, both from a generic standpoint and from an antidepressive standpoint, is exercise. You know, there is some history of mental health issues in my family, particularly around depression, clinical work. And we know from all the science, from all the reading, that exercise is one of the most effective ways to deal with this. I also know that I'm a really miserable person if I don't exercise. 
both to myself and to others. And so that made it on the list quite easily. And then really the only question was which exercise, when, with whom, what do I want to actually do? So I, I think really trying to be both realistic and, and it was a hard decision. I actually said at the start of 2023 that the 2024 project would be to learn Italian. And as we enter 2024, I have a plan for that. I have a program. I've changed my top five. Some things are in, some things are out. And, you know, Italian is in. And my goal is to be fluent by the end of the year, which I think is achievable, given that it's one of the four things I'm going to do for the year. You've talked about mood. You've talked about, you know, depression. How was your emotional state going from whatever point and however you wish to describe it to we could even say now and what are some of your reflections on your mental health over that time I mean I, honestly I think prior to this sort of I guess what we call transformation that we went through I was very much debating you know is work that important to me like am I am I doing the right work am I contributing uh, to my own organization, you know, how do I best deploy my passions and my talents uh, in the world? And, yeah, there were many times where I thought, maybe not, you know, maybe this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. But also there was really just this general sense of, like, you don't want to get up in the morning sometimes, you know? I, I, I cannot overstate the difference that even in those first two to three months of making these changes... And it took two to three months for things to really get going, right? It just definitely didn't happen on day one. It took me two months to find an exercise I was happy with, for example. I mean, I think over the course of that kind of month three, month four, was essentially a new human being, at least internally. Uh, we're all good at doing the outside faking, but this time it was less fake. Uh, there was a lot more honest, genuine, positive mood behind the happy energizer bunny front that I'm good at uh, kind of showing off to the world. And I think that was really a revelation. I consider myself, you know, I'm a well-educated person, right? Sure. I've, I read a lot of stuff. I think a lot, of, I think a lot about how the world works and, and how I work. And yet it took me 39 and a half years to get to like, oh, do you know what I should do is actually like take charge of the things that matter in my day. And so this is probably not news to a bunch of you worked this out already. So good job. It took me much longer. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I now have both a much better base state. We've come way out of low, back to average, right? And to be clear, a lot of that stuff we stopped. We don't get fad deliveries anymore. They're too expensive. They're great. Mm -hmm. They're ridiculous. You know, that, that kind of state of mental well-being is so much more powerful. And on the bad days, because I still have bad days, like everybody does, I feel like I have ways out now. I have a sense of kind of power around what I do to make things better. Uh, so just a few days ago, I'd had a, you know, it's obviously a holiday period here that, that has its ups and downs course. And you know, I had a, a kind of down couple of days, but I knew all I really had to do is literally get on my bike, ride up the hill to the gym, do 20 minutes of something that may or may not have a point, but had the point of creating exercise and then ride back down the hill again. And I would feel better. And I did. And, and the fact that I'd spent a year kind of practicing the ability to do that, such that I have now these tools that I can deploy to improve life, I really think that's just unbelievably powerful. If I could somehow just give that sense to everybody, uh, I think we'd, we'd do good things. And I think it's exactly that, a learned behavior. I was going to use the phrase toolkit, because that's what it sounds like you've now got, a toolkit to lean on. 
that doesn't mean that on the down days and the difficult days that they're going to be easy but actually you have almost a point of reference now to say hang on a second I've been through something like this before what did I do then what worked for me and what made things better and it might not be a quick fix on that day because actually it, it might be something really radical that's happened at home or at work and you know I had that just this morning and you open your emails and you're like oh right today's going to be not how I planned it but immediately because I feel like I've done some work uh, you know not actually in in the structured way that you have and I, and I loved all of that particularly the accountability partner I think that's so important you know whether it be a family member, partner, friend to talk through these things with and be really open and honest about because actually until we have that very honest conversation, not just with ourselves, but with someone else about what's going on with ourselves, it's very, very hard to make that change. Then the really tough things feel less tough because you know what you need to do to maybe take some time out to refresh, to figure out what's going on for you and then come back into it. And I really think that actually what you described is something that anyone who is a leader would find really, really helpful. And I thank you for being honest and open, for sharing something that is deeply personal. And that's what this podcast is all about. It has touched my soul and made me think, do you know what, that's a great way to think about how I might start the new year. I'm sure that anyone who hears this will feel exactly the same. So Richard, thank you so much for sharing. Really just hope that some of what I've shared can help others through something difficult or challenging. And I look forward to hearing all the future episodes of what I'm sure is going to be a fantastic podcast. Thank you, Richard. 